careful attention to its reading, we'll first read from Ephesians chapter 5, and then to our sermon text, which will be Song of Songs chapter 2. But first, to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, it is found on page 978. Let us hear the word of the Lord and pay careful attention to its reading. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And let us turn over to the Old Testament, to the Song of Songs, often called the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, it'll be found on page 561. The Song of Songs comes right before Isaiah. The Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. The grass fadeth, the flower fadeth, the grass withereth, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray and ask his blessing at this time. Our Father, we love you, we cherish you in Christ. By your spirit, you've enabled us to do this, to be knit together as one body, the body of Christ, that we may do our various tasks, our callings. Lord, this word, we pray that it is bound to our heart, that we may abide in the light and love of you, our Father, by the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Song of Songs is not often 
a sermon series or a topic that sermons cover very very often. It's a it's a bit of a controversial book. The uh, rabbis used to say that you weren't allowed to read the Song of Songs until you were at least north of thirty or were married. Now, that's uh, it's obviously a funny thing, but we also have to understand that this is the word of God. Every bit of it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every bit of it is profitable for us and for our needs. And some people look at it and say that, oh, it's only for those who are married or the like, or it gets, it's strange and hard to understand. But dear saints, I argue that it's for all of us. It's for all of us, married or not, young or old. That we may understand, in a way, what we are called to do in our lives and what Christ has done for us. Indeed, it is a love song, and indeed it has infinitely true wisdom on how married life is to be, the, the passion it rightly describes. But when we look at this theme, when we look at the Song of Songs, and particularly here in chapter 2, verse 15, we can see a few things that address us directly. I think a theme that we can draw from it is that vineyards, our vineyards, need protecting from foxes. And we can see this theme in three points. First, we should know the threat. Second, we should know what is being threatened. And third, we should know how to protect and who does the protecting. And so yeah, the context here in the Song of Songs, of course, is the Shulamite woman and Solomon back and forth singing of the love that they have for one another, anticipating the day together where they will consummate the marriage and live blissfully. Something beautiful about this. And yet there are issues that arise. She is insecure. There are things that threaten their love as it's budding before it even bears fruit worthy of harvesting. And that's what's being described here. That's the immediate context. That's the most literal context. And yet there's something more to be seen. But what do we see here? What do we see that's threatening? Let's read it again. Says, catch the little foxes, or the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. There are foxes around. Now, foxes literally do damage vineyards when they run through, they gnaw at the bark, exposing the inner pulp of the tree or the of the of the uh, the branch of the vine. They dig out the roots, causing it to rot. And I grew up in wine country, so I can tell you that when vineyards rot or when something is wrong it does stink there's this putrid smell it spoils the vineyard they eat the fruit as it's first coming about these little foxes threaten to destroy a literal vineyard and yet we know that this vineyard is much more these foxes are much more dear saints what do you think of when you think of foxes you have a, you have an idea there there are cultural Ideas. In fact, that's actually why I chose the the title. It's not a uh, 
it's not a, uh, a typo. Brer Fox, he lay low. Now this was, this is alluding to The Wonderful Tar Baby, which was written by Joel Chandler Harris back in the turn of the 1800s into the 1900s. He was a man who grew up amongst slaves and he would sit at the feet of an older man whom he has called Uncle Remus in his stories. He's retelling his childhood stories where he would sit around with, among, with the other children and they would listen as this, as this older man through this oral tradition share wisdom, would share knowledge, moral teachings. And of course, what happens is that Br'er Rabbit in the story, in The Wonderful Tar Baby, Br'er Rabbit, who is the arch nemesis of Br'er Fox, he's going along the way and Br'er Fox, prior to this, has set up this trap. He takes pitch or tar and he fashions it to look like a small child. And so when Br'er Rabbit comes along and says hello to the child, so he thinks is a child, the child is quite rude and doesn't answer. And so he goes over and says, nice said hello. But the child doesn't answer. And so he swats the child, but now he's stuck. And he continually gets more and more stuck and entangled. All the while, there's a refrain that's being repeated as Br'er Fox is sitting in the thicket. He lay low. He's snickering to himself. He's watching. He's getting dinner in a movie. There are cultural aspects with foxes. We think of foxes as sly, scheming, tricky little creatures. And that was the case even back in the ancient world in which Israel found herself. For instance, in Egypt, a fox was often a man who would prey on young married women when they were by themselves, trying to seduce them. And so it may be here as well that there are other men who are seeking to draw away the Shulamite woman. Literal foxes take the place personified as something that threatens a good thing. Now, if you're using the Pew Bible, you may see a footnote attached to that, which says, or jackals. Foxes, or jackals, which is because the Hebrew word, word there is very similar. And both these animals, both these creatures, were not creatures looked at kindly. They were a nuisance. But more than that, jackals in the Old Testament are images, uses images for destruction, for desolation, desertion. You think of some of the prophets in Isaiah, as you think a haunt of jackals, meaning a place where there, there are no people to kick these animals out. They roam free. There's also the imagery of corrupt or predatory leadership. That's what foxes are. It's desolation, desertion. It's corruption, predatory leadership. It is also an image of a reversal of the dominion mandate from order into chaos as the wilderness takes back over an established place. I'm sure you've seen pictures of ghost towns, the ancient ruins, various places that have been abandoned, and yet you see not people there, you see wildlife having taken back over, a place that was thriving at one point, becoming undone. 
Indeed, if we really get down to the root of it, it's an image of what Satan wishes to do. Satan's kingdom opposes God's kingdom. Satan's domain, or his dominion, opposes God's. And of course, works through these means. In Ezekiel 13, 4, as far as for predatory leadership, it says, Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. In the New Testament, Luke, in chapter 13, verse 32, when the people come to him and say, Herod is demanding your life. And before he parts his way, for his time has not yet come, he says, you tell that fox. Foxes, in one way, are antichrists, as John calls them in his first epistle. They are people who seek to do harm to the church, though not usually intending to do harm. That's why they're antichrists. Think of the concerns that many heretics, many antichrists have in the church. They come from two places, typically. Logical concerns or concerns for piety, holiness. Arius, in the early church, which we why we have the, the Nicene Creed, denied the Christ, denying the Trinity. He said that, there, that Christ is the greatest of all creation. He saw, God, or that he saw Christ's begottenness as a created thing, as opposed to being eternally coming from the Father. It was a logical concern. He could not square what he read in Scripture. Or maybe, a few hundred years later, British monk Pelagius. His concern was for piety, for holiness. He saw a lot of people baptized as infants, raised in the church, and living like hellions, raising Cain, but then looking back and presuming upon the grace of God. Well, he's right to see that, but what did he do? His concern turned to perversion of the truth. As he said, Christ is just the greatest example of goodness, and that Adam is the greatest example of badness. We're bad because we look at a bad example. We need to look at a good example. Effectively erasing original sin and also erasing the atonement of Christ for sinners, leaving everybody in their sin and misery, in their guilt. Think of it today. Andy Stanley is a heretic. It's very sad. It's sad to say this, but he's a man who has denied the validity of the Old Testament or its usefulness. He's denied two-thirds of the Word of God, of which sets up the beautiful stage of Christ's coming. It's pragmatic. His concern is pragmatic. He wants to bring people into the kingdom, but what kingdom is he bringing people into? He is a fox, threatening to spoil the vineyard. In every way, he compromises as he seeks to lower the bar, as he sees it, 
to make the gate wider as he sees it, to bring more people in as he sees it. The problem is what he's promising, the gate that he's seeking to widen, is not the gate to the celestial city, but is a gate to ruins, desolation, desertion, a place of jackals and foxes. But dear saints, the thing that threatens the vineyard is not just antichrists, but it's our very sins. Our very sins threaten the vineyard. The little foxes, catch us the little foxes. We just used the 10th commandment to prick our hearts into recognizing our need for Christ. That is where the smallest of sins begin. And as James would say, the sin is conceived, gestates, and then is given birth to this horrifying monster which then turns and devours the one giving birth to it. Dear saints, that is our heart. The little foxes that must be caught are our sins that start small. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's envy. It's letting your eye linger just a little too long for somebody or for something. Either way, it's something that you want, you think you deserve even, deep down. And these things grow. And dear saints, this is how murders are committed. Crimes of passion. This is how theft, fraud, embezzlement, all sorts of corruption, on a grand scale and in small microcosms, begin small. These are the little foxes. They are sins, and they are sinners. And these are the things that we must be wary of, because they threaten the vineyard. So what's the vineyard? The vineyard is what God desires for his people. It's what prosperity preachers twist God properly wants prosperity for you. Not in some sort of blab it and grab it, name it and claim it sort of way. That's a false gospel. If only you had enough faith, you'd make it big. You'd make it rich. You'd have whatever you want. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a true prosperity, a lasting prosperity, a prosperity of which there is no corruption, no thief can break in and steal. God desires for his people to see his goodness in the land of the living as a foretaste of what they inherit in the kingdom. Now he's equipped us to also face when that prosperity is threatened, when the vineyards are threatened. In fact, oftentimes in scripture, especially in the prophets, you see descriptions of vineyards. And what happens is that they're very near threatened. They're spoken of as these beautiful things, these things that are going to yield much fruit. Think of the wine, think of the juice, think of the food, think of all the crops that are gathered from these fruitful places. A true utopia, not of man's imagination. And yet they are often threatened. A threat is right around the corner, crouching, waiting. He lay low. Those foxes. Think of what Christ says in his parables, how often he, think, he, he, he describes 
The kingdom of God is like a vineyard. A vineyard where the people are to prosper, they're to work diligently and reap the benefits of their labor. Where they are to gather round together in a common table and eat and celebrate the glory of God. And yet it is threatened by hirelings. It's threatened by wicked servants. It's threatened by those who conspire to cheat and steal the people of God of their inheritance. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who oppose the kingdom. Was it specifically? What specifically? That's the grand scale of what the vineyard is. But what? how does he give us this vineyard? Dear saints, three ways. And this is where it encompasses everybody in the church. Your individual walk and witness. Each individual here, every single human being here, every one of you, big and small, Young and old, all of you have a walk and a witness where the Lord demands that you walk before him holy and blameless, and that is in Jesus Christ. That's the first vineyard. The second vineyard is marriage. For those of you who are married, you've been given this together to cultivate for the glory of God, that you may taste of his prosperity, of his goodness, to his people, that you may bear witness before the world that doesn't understand even male and female, it seems, most of the time. So individual walks and witnesses, marriage, and then thirdly, the church. The church, the context of all of this, the place where you come for nourishment, it's often twisted, this saying, but it, is, it holds true. And that is, you can't have God as father if you don't have church as mother. Despite it being twisted, how true is that? If you do not come in through the sheep gate, then you are a thief, you are a robber. You do not have proper part in the vineyard of God, and that is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It is a context our marriages are blessed. It is a context our individual walks and witnesses are blessed. This needs protection from the little foxes, those antichrists who would seek to do harm, and those sins that would seek to damage us, to hurt us. So this brings us to our third point. We see what the threat is. We see what's being threatened. Who's protecting? How do we protect? Let me just put the, the main card, the trump card down. Play the Jesus card. He's the one who protects the vineyard. Did we not read that in Ephesians 5? Christ is the one who protects from foxes. He's the one who equips by his spirit. In verse 23, of Ephesians 5, Christ is the head of his body. He is the savior of his bride, the church. In verse 25, and that he gave himself for her. He gave his life that she may live. He did so to deliver her from her, from her iniquity. 
He did so with love. Verses 26 and 27, he, he loves her. He protects her. He is presenting her without spot or blemish, without wrinkle, without any sort of shame. And so therefore, verse 24 in Ephesians 5 says, therefore the church is to be subject to her husband, to her Christ, to the bridegroom. The church is to be as a submissive bride in all things to Jesus. That's, of course, what we see analogously in marriage. So that's who does the protecting. But how has he handed down that protection? How does he ordain that protection to come into place? He does so through ministers and elders, those officers of the church. They are to catch the little foxes early, first in their own lives and in their own marriages, and then in the church. To you brothers, you elders of this church here, understand that the Lord Jesus has equipped you men to serve him diligently. He's equipped you men to protect the sheepfold. Yes, you are sheep yourselves, brothers. He has loved you to the very end, and he is with you even now. But he has ordained you and equipped you to serve these people, to love them, as he loves his bride. Brothers, it is a huge calling. And yet, you've not gone in blindly. He has equipped you, brothers, to carry out your call to love these people. But dear saints, the rest of you, You are not to be passive. You are not to sit back. You are not to make their lives difficult. Jesus hates that. As it says in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that give account, that they might do it with joy and not with grief, for it is unprofitable to you. If you grieve your elders, it is unprofitable to you. They cannot serve you, for they are men, and they need a savior just as you. In fact, they've been raised from your ranks to protect you, to love you, to, if need be, to lay down their lives for you. I say the same to the minister but I know that you are vacant, and so all the more right now, love these men by looking after your own individual walks and witnesses, by guarding your marriages, because there are ways in which you see that they don't. They are not omniscient. They are not everywhere present. 
help protect the church. It's a neighborhood watch, so to speak. Make their duties a joy. To the deacons, and I don't believe I meant the deacons yet, but wherever you are, understand that it is your job, your unique calling, which the Lord has equipped you to love the people in a very unique way. In fact, in a way that the elders are not called to do exactly. Yes, there's prayer that overlaps. And deacons, if you are not praying for the people, you are neglecting a very important part of your office. Please pray for the people. But there's also something else unique that's there. You help meet their needs, their felt needs. That means, dear saints, that if you have a need, go to the deacons. That's what they're there for. In fact, the word deacon means to be a servant, to serve. They are uniquely called and uniquely gifted to carry out that task. It says in Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God, our God. Dear saints, if you are prideful and do not go to your deacons for assistance, for prayer at the very least, which is the greatest thing they can actually offer you, then we are failing to protect the holy name of our God because we will eventually profane in our resentment. We will allow that little fox of sin to creep in, of resentment and contentment. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen to you. Go to the deacons, go to the elders, let them love you, and then love one another. Hasn't Christ called you to as much? Didn't he die that you may do so? And bring out two more points to how we are to protect a vineyard and specifically to marriage. If there are those of you who are considering marriage or know others who are considering marriage, Westminster Larger Catechism in question and answer 139 talks about the undue delay of marriage. If you are engaged to be married, a long engagement is a little fox that can lead to great sin of impurity. And we are called to not have undue, undue delay of marriage. That's couched under the commandment forbidding adultery. Any sort of sexual sin falls under that category. Don't delay marriage. Seek to be under the counsel of godly men and women who have gone through this path, who know how to protect marriage, who are examples to you. And for those of you who are already married, your body belongs to each other. Women, Wives, your body belongs to your husband. And husbands, your body belongs to your wives. To no other. Do not withhold your love from each other. Pray for each other. Take account for your own idiosyncrasies, your own, your own temptations to sin. 
that would then harm your marriage. I'm not talking just sexual sin. I'm talking also of other sins, of bickering, holding too high of a standard, being bitter towards one another. Love one another, for you've been given to each other. And may grace abound between you, for you will fail. But Christ has equipped you. So for all of these things, the officers of the church, our individual walks, our marriages, the danger is constant. It's not just one and done. You don't get to check off the box and go, well, I slayed that little fox, so we're good. No, the danger is perennial. So let us be wary. Let us be aware of what is around us. Children, specifically, how your sins, how your little foxes can disrupt the vineyard. For you married folks, how your sins can disrupt the vineyard. You officers, how your sins can disrupt the vineyard. Let us all, clinging to Christ Jesus, who is ultimately the head of the church, her husband, let us rely wholly, solely upon him. Let me close with this quote. I found in a, in a commentary as I, was, as I was studying this passage. The admonition he gives, and that is, of course, derivatively, ultimately, from Christ, which he gives us, is to guard against and suppress those little foxes which destroy the tender vines and would disturb the peace of his beloved dove. Again, language from the Song of Songs. This is a charge to every believer to suppress his own sinful nature. Those, evil nat- those evils of our nature that may seem little in our own eyes. Anger, wrath, gossip, slander, peevishness, evil speaking must be avoided for the good of Christ's kingdom. There are other little foxes that would destroy the peace of God's church. They too must be taken out of the way. All doctrinal error, all that is contrary to the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in Christ, every little fox of free will, of works religion, must be kept out of God's vineyard. Every little fox of schism, of strife and division must be also put away, lest they spoil the vine. For the honor of our beloved, and that is the Christ, for the goodness of our own souls and for the good of our brethren, for our marriages as well, we must constantly again guard against these little foxes of hell. Dear saints, prayerfully consider how this applies to you. Search your hearts. Seek wisdom from those saints who have gone the race farther, from your elders, from your deacons, that they may pray for you and guide you unto all truth as they have been equipped to do in Christ Jesus. And ultimately, look to him for your salvation, yes, but also for your growth as a Christian. Dear saints, beware. Because Brer Fox, he lay low. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You know the nourishment that we need. You know the encouragement that we need. You know where we fall short. Lord, you know exactly the little foxes that threaten our lives, that threaten the church. Lord, help us to put these things away, that they may be done away with, that they may be out of our hearts and our minds. Lord, please guide us unto all truth in Christ Jesus. Help us suppress those foxes that would spoil the vineyard which you've been so gracious to give us. Lord, help us to know that we have prosperity abounding in Christ Jesus, ultimately in the new heavens and new earth. Help us not to look to the things that we have here to hold on to too tight, where indeed they are threatened all the day long. May we be diligent to be good stewards of those things, and yet may we keep our eyes upon Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.